going to start with our story today and I have my daughter here uh, with me as I'm telling a story. Do you want to say hi? Can you say it with your mouth? She just waved. Hi. <laughs> hi sweetie. Okay are you ready? Yep here we go. We've spent the last few stories focusing on some important things that Jacob taught the Nephites and now Nephi is going to speak to us again. We will hear from Jacob again later, but at this point in his record, Nephi wanted to write some more from Isaiah. He said, oh, my soul delights in Isaiah's words. Do you have a favorite book that you love to read because it delights your soul? No. <laughs> you don't right now? Not yet. I bet you will someday. Well, that is how Nephi felt about Isaiah. Nephi said, I like to apply Isaiah's teachings to my own people, and I will send his words to my children to help prove to them that my own words are really true, since he saw my Redeemer, just like I and my brother Jacob have seen him. Okay, holy cow, you guys, we have proof at the very beginning of the Book of Mormon that three separate prophets saw the Savior with their own eyes. Can you believe that? <clears throat> Heavenly Father has taught us that we can tell his teachings and doctrines are true if three people say or teach the same things. And in this case, we get the same teachings from Isaiah, Nephi, and Jacob, who all saw our Savior. So we can trust that their words are true. Now, Nephi said that there are more witnesses in this world than just those three who can testify that Christ really lives and that God could always prove that his words are true and his teachings are true. And Nephi's soul delighted in proving to his children and family that Christ really would come to live on the earth hundreds of years after they had died. He said that all the laws of Moses were given for this very reason, to prove Christ's existence. In fact, Nephi said that everything God has given his children from the time of Adam and Eve typifies Christ. To typify something means to represent or symbolize that thing. So Nephi is saying that everything God has given us can help remind us and think about Jesus Christ. Nephi also said that his soul delighted in the covenants that God had made with his forefathers and in God's grace and justice and power and mercy and great plan of salvation, which is exactly what we recently learned about from Jacob, right? <clears throat> Nephi said, My soul also delights in proving to my people that all the earth will perish unless God Unless Christ comes to the earth. Listen, if Christ never comes to the earth, then there would be no God. And if God didn't exist, then we wouldn't exist, and the earth would not exist either. But I tell you guys that there is a God, and there is a Christ, and he will come. And now, I'm going to write some of Isaiah's words that I hope will help you rejoice for everyone who has ever lived. Now, Listen to Isaiah's words and think about what they can mean for you today. Isaiah said that in the latter days, he saw the mountain of the Lord's house being established at the top of the mountains. It would be higher than the hills and all the nations would flow to it. Do you have any idea what he was talking about? Let's see. 
Isaiah mentioned the Lord's house. Do you have any of the Lord's houses near your own house? The Lord's house is another name for temples. So Isaiah... Yeah. You love the temples so much. Me too. So Isaiah is seeing all the temples around the world in these latter days. What? Uh huh. And he saw that at this time, many people would share the gospel with others and say, Come with me. Let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will be able to walk in his paths and learn how to become more like Heavenly Father. We will learn all about God's laws and commandments in the Lord's house. Is the mountain of the Lord like kind of like the, a steeple of the temple? That's a great question. We're actually going to talk about it right now. Some of you, yeah, some of you might be wondering why Isaiah refers to temples as being the mountains of the Lord. So if you think about mountains, imagine how tall and grand they are. They are the tallest and grandest and most majestic things in all the world. So I believe that there's no better way to explain what temples are like. And if you stand on top of a mountain, you can see things much clearer and with a better perspective than if you're stuck on flat land or even in the bottom of the valley, right? Yes. And you can have that type of perspective over your life and even the world when you learn God's truths and ways in the temple. So those are just a few reasons why I think Isaiah called them the mountain of the Lord. Can you think of any other reason? I think that Isaiah called the mountains of the Lord because they're all so high, like mountains. But I can't think of any other reasons except the one that you just explained, Mom. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's another reason, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, Isaiah continued and taught that in the latter days, God would judge the wicked. He would judge the prideful and all those who have turned away from him and his truths. All those who have loved their riches and treasures and money and creation more than they love God will be punished. And those who think they are higher and better and more wonderful than everyone else will be punished and caused to tremble from fear of the Lord. And the Lord's glory and light will smite them. It will be too brightly burning for them to bear. Isaiah then says, If such great punishments are going to come to the wicked, then get away from them. You don't want to end up like them. Now, here's another interesting thing about Isaiah's prophecies. His prophecies seem to have multiple fulfillments, which means that he would tell stories that happened in his day, but some of them also happened around the time that Christ came to the earth as a baby, and some of them have happened or could also happen during the latter days, the days we're living in right now. He taught the Israelites and all those who have made covenants with God, but don't keep them in their hearts, that God would take his bread and water away from them. What do you think that could mean? Well, I think it's because that if they didn't live righteously, then they wouldn't have eternal life. Once they were dead, their spirits would go straight to hell. I think that's what that means. That God would take his bread and water away from them? That 
they you mean immortal bread and water well it could have meant physical bread and water as in they would experience famine and drought um, and it also can mean immortal or spiritual bread and water because do you know anyone in the scriptures who taught us that he is the bread of life and the living water Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's Jesus. So God will also take away Jesus' power from anyone who is wicked and who turns away from him instead of repenting. He will punish everyone and anyone who chooses to be wicked, no matter how powerful or rich or smart they are on the earth, including people like teachers and captains and older people and judges. God will give them children for princes and babies to rule over them. That might sound silly, but he means that God will give them unlearned, weak leaders to rule over them. And at that time, everyone will be fighting with one another. And young people will be disrespectful to the older people. And no one will be able to hide their wickedness from God. It will be okay for the righteous, since they will be rewarded instead of punished for their goodness. But woe and misery will come to the wicked who follow leaders who lead them off of God's covenant path. When the judgment day comes, the Lord will stand up to plead for and defend the righteous. But since he knows and sees all, he will judge and punish all the wicked who have treated poor and lowly people with meanness, as if they're beating them up and grinding their faces into the dirt. He will also punish all the girls and really all people who care more about how they look than how much they love the Lord. Isaiah described girls who walk around looking at others and wanting to be looked at only in the way that married men and women should look at each other. He described girls who love lots of jewelry and fancy clothes and fancy hair and fancy makeup way more than they love the Lord and said that the Lord was going to make them bald. He would give them scabs on their heads and take away all their fancy things and make them stink. Now, even though Isaiah is just talking about girls here who love fancy things, his teachings apply to all people who love anything more than the Lord. Think of even boys who love sports or trucks or video games more than they love the Lord. The Lord will destroy it all and leave the wicked feeling sad. In the day that the wicked are punished like this, they will do anything they can to try and get rid of their guilt and sin. Meanwhile, Jesus' church and saints will be beautiful and glorious, and they will be very blessed. Now, here is something interesting to think about. When the angel Moroni visited Joseph Smith, when Joseph Smith was just 17 years old, Moroni quoted the next scriptures from Isaiah and said that this prophecy would soon be fulfilled. Do you want to hear what the prophecy was? Isaiah said that the Lord will cover his saints with a cloud and smoke by day and a fire at night. Did you know that the Lord did the same thing for the Israelites' tabernacle when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years with Moses? True story. But in our day, Isaiah said that the Lord would give us a tabernacle or a temple for shade in the daytime heat and a protection and place of safety and also a cover from rain and other storms. Now, Isaiah is speaking about weather here, but what else do you think he means? 
What are some storms or scorching sunshine in your own life that you would like protection from? Maybe you can pause this story and talk with your family about how the temple and covenant can protect you during life's storms. Now, at this point, Isaiah told a parable, which is a simple story that teaches a lesson. In this parable, Christ is a master of a vineyard, and the house of Israel is the vineyard, and the members of the house of Israel are the fruits or the grapes of the vineyard. Isaiah said, A master once had a vineyard on a very fruitful and successful hill. He built a fence around it and worked hard to take all the stones out of the soil. And he planted his vineyard with the best plants. And then he built a strong tower in the middle of it to keep watch for predators or thieves. And he built a wine press too. And he was excited for all the fruit he was going to gather. He had cared for his vineyard so well and for so long. But unfortunately, the plants brought forth wild grapes, not good juicy grapes. The master lamented and said, Oh, what more could I have done in my vineyard to help it bring forth good fruit? Oh, I am so sad. But since all my fruit is wild, then I will break down the walls and hedges and let the grapes be eaten up and squashed. I won't work to prune and weed it any longer, and I will let wild briars and thorns grow, and I will command the skies to stop raining on my vineyard so that it will dry all up. Now, I don't know about you, but this story helps remind me why the house of Israel was scattered to all nations and why the wicked will be destroyed. The Lord loves all his covenant people and takes very careful care of them, just as he took special care of the vineyard in this story. But in the end, he wants good, healthy, juicy fruit instead of bad, bitter, rotting fruit. In the New Testament, Jesus taught us that if we try our best to follow him and join ourselves to him through covenants, it's like he is a true good vine, and we are the good, delicious fruit that grows from the vine. So maybe this week, if you're tempted to make a wrong choice, you can think to yourself, hmm, do I want to be a good grape or a sour grape? Now, at this point, Isaiah gives us a list of six wicked actions that will be punished. The first is neglecting to take good care of the land that we've been blessed with and using it wastefully. The second is ignoring the power that our spirits can have over our bodies and choosing to put bad things into our bodies and wasting our time on things that aren't worth anything to God, like loud and rude parties or watching too much TV instead of focusing on what we can do to serve God as thanks for all he has given us. Isaiah said that hell is opening her wide mouth, waiting to swallow those who descend into it if they are mean or rude about their own power. That kind of reminds me how Laman and Lemuel were acting on the ship sailing to the promised land when Nephi warned them to stop being so rude. The third sin Isaiah warns against is making terrible decisions and then mocking God by saying, Ha! Let's just see what God is going to do to punish me now. The fourth sin is lying and pretending that evil is good and good is evil. Or darkness is light and light is darkness. Or bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. 
When you lie about truth, it's like you're fighting God, since he is the most truthful being in the universe. The more honest and truthful you are, the more of God's power he is willing to share with you. The fifth sin is thinking that you're wiser and more important than anyone else. And the sixth sin is taking bribes and rewards in return for punishing righteous people, just like the wicked Israelite judges punished Jesus even though he was innocent. Isaiah then said that the punishment for these sins will be like a fire burning a whole field and leaving nothing but rotten roots. He finished prophesying about the wicked for a moment and focused on the way that the Lord would begin to fulfill the covenants he made to Abraham and his posterity. First, the Lord would lift an ensign to all nations. Do you know what an ensign is? It is a flag that someone, usually a military leader, raises to gather the members of their same team or unit together. So the Lord would raise an ensign to all nations. And the ensign is the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and his church. And then the Lord would call to all nations to come quickly. How do you think he calls to all nations? I can think of two ways right now. I think the Lord uses his missionaries as a way to call to the nations of the world and tell them the good news of Christ's gospel. And I also think that general conference is a way he can call people to learn of him and his truth. Can you think of any more ways? Well, Isaiah said that those who choose to gather to Christ's church will not have anything in their way to stop them. They won't grow weary or stumble, and their shoes and their clothes won't be worn down or come untied. Isaiah compared those who join the church to warriors whose arrows are sharp, and their bows are bent, and their horses' hooves are strong and sturdy. He said they will be mighty and fearless like young lions who roar and quickly catch their prey, and nothing can hinder them. Well, that is the end of our story for today. And next time, we are going to talk about a vision that Isaiah had of Jesus Christ and also some history about the Jews and what happened after King Solomon died. So until next time, you guys, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Goodbye.